This episode is brought to you by Audible. Audible has over 420,000 titles to choose from, all compatible with iPhone, Android, Kindle, or your MP3 player of choice. For listeners of the show, Audible is offering a free 30-day trial membership, complete with credit for a free audiobook of your choice. You can cancel at any time and keep the free book, or keep going with one of Audible's subscription offers. Go to audibletrial.com slash edinfinitumpodcast, no dashes, no spaces, to claim your offer. This episode I'm recommending World War Z, An Oral History of the Zombie War, by Max Brooks. Forget that silly movie from a couple of years ago with Brad Pitt, which is nowhere near as good as this original text. Yeah, the zombie craze may have waned, but in these days of an actual pandemic, I'm finding whole new things to relate to in Brooks's fictional documentary about a global zombie plague, which invites you into a wide range of perspectives from around the world as the crisis unfolds. World War Z is really a book not about zombies, but about humans overcoming their own pettiness and short-sightedness to solve a problem they themselves created and become better in the process. Inspiring and necessary stuff for our present times. To check it out, go to audibletrial.com slash edinfinitumpodcast. No dashes, no spaces. One more time, that's audibletrial.com slash edinfinitumpodcast. Now on with the show. Hello, and welcome to Ed Infinitum, the podcast that makes school the subject of study. I'm your host, David Nuremberg. This is a special episode of Ed Infinitum entitled Teaching and Learning in the Shadow of COVID-19. I don't need to tell anyone that this is a weird, fearful time in our world history. For the first time, probably since the Second World War, maybe ever, the entire planet Earth is having a shared experience with the novel coronavirus, COVID-19, and it's changed everything. Business and economics, healthcare, social lives, and of course, teaching and learning. America's public schools, notorious for being slow and nigh impossible to change, have all of a sudden changed dramatically to adapt to government-imposed social isolation. For those of us privileged enough to have regular access to the internet, social media, and especially teleconferencing apps like Zoom and FaceTime, we have a digitally mediated lifeline to our friends and family, our jobs, and perhaps even our students. And schools now have to teach across that lifeline. And students have to learn across it. Most schools and teachers are operating without a playbook, writing it as they go, and doing what they always do, struggling against insurmountable odds to try and help children learn, grow, and succeed. In this episode, we're going to hear from three of these teachers who are acting as pioneers, however unwilling, of this new and necessary kind of education. They're teachers who have responded to a shout-out I sent across the nation to share stories of what they're experiencing right now, and I'm going to let them introduce themselves. My name is Helen, and I teach ELA at a high school. Hi, I'm Debbie. I teach physics in a large suburban high school in the Chicago suburbs. My name is Benedict. I teach math for at-risk men of color in the urban district of Boston Public Schools. How has your school adapted or attempted to adapt to teaching and learning in the wake of the closures forced by COVID-19? First, Helen. For the first week, we were really focused on um, providing students with food and getting in touch and providing students with like supports that they've received through the school, whether that was checking with a guidance counselor um, or doctor's appointments. So for the first week, our online learning was really pretty student directed. Like we sent out a website with a lot of recommendations and suggestions. 
And then in the second week, we have been using Google Classroom where each teacher is posting one activity per day. It's great if the kids are doing it, they are not required to do it. And we've been pretty transparent with that to them. A ton of kids at my school also work. So I think my school is really pretty frank in realizing that a lot of our kids won't be doing it because they are still working right now or they're taking care of their younger siblings. Mm -hmm. And then we also have troubles with internet access. So we have been getting laptops to students and getting free internet to students, but we didn't have much of a plan when we closed. So it's all taking a while to sort out. About what portion of your students would you estimate have reliable internet access? I don't know. I think I, so I have had a third of my students do at least one assignment on Google Classroom. So at least a third, I think, do. I think probably more like at least a half do. Thank you. Debbie, how's it been for your school out in the Chicago suburbs? Today is actually our first day of e-learning. We've been off of teaching and the students have been off of learning for two weeks. We canceled school for about a week and then we actually just had our spring break. So we're just starting. Uh, the nice thing is we actually had about two weeks to plan and get ready for this. So for myself and my husband, we both teach physics. We scooped up a ton of materials to borrow from the school, a ton of lab equipment, and we brought it home and we spent the two weeks setting up experiments and videoing the results so the kids could still make observations. And then their e-learning is going to be using the videos of the experiments and some simulations, and their job is going to be to try and make meaning of what they saw. But it is definitely going to need some adaption. We can't do in-class discussion. It's all asynchronous. We can't have synchronous learning uh, for our district. So it's going to be a little different. We're just getting started, but we'll certainly have to modify along the way. Something our school did, and many schools around us are doing the same, is they just decided to do baseline grading. And what baseline grading means is whatever grade they had before we canceled, they can't get lower than that as long as they actually do the online learning, uh, whatever that means in terms of completing it. So if they had a B going into it, their, their B is safe for the semester as long as they do the lessons. What supports are there for them as they're doing this work at home? We are really fortunate. We have a tutoring center that's staffed by employees, and they're continuing to work just digitally. So the kids can put in a request for a tutoring session with a staff member, and they'll be matched um, possibly one-on-one for a virtual session or possibly with some other students that are studying the same topic. Our school is also planning on surveying everyone at the, after the first week to see how this e-learning is going. And then we're going to have a professional development day in a few weeks where the kids don't have um, e-learning. And we just go through the, that survey and see what's going on. Wow, so it seems like you guys have a really robust system set up. Sounds like we have it all together, but the reality is everything's changing really quickly and we just started and, you know, we're completely reinventing or inventing something new in two weeks. So uh, lots of adaption, lots of learning. As with anything when you start, teachers learn a lot and you hope that students learn some and it's not going to be perfect. It's, we're, we're hoping for good enough. That's all we're hoping for at this point. Certainly. We're all doing the best we can. I certainly don't have it all down myself, for sure. I want to turn now to Benedict in Boston. Benedict, what's been going on in your school? One of the biggest things we've done is continuously communicate with each other. We, I have two meetings a week online. That's very helpful in understanding what to do, what my principal is looking for us to do. Sure. 
Debbie had told us about various supports that were in place for her students. What sort of supports are in place for the students that you work with? I think I'm supporting them, but I think I need to do more. I have three classes, and for each class, I call every student once a week, uh, and then I log in when I talk to them. We've also sent them work, and I say all the teachers have sent them work. We either emailed, sent it through Google Classroom, or through PowerSchool. I do think the students seem to prefer and understand PowerSchool the most and we log everything that we do. So the other teachers can see that some teachers have gotten contact with students and who hasn't. One of the many challenges right now is that we need to support our students not only academically, but also emotionally. I mean, that's kind of always been part of our job, but now it's taken on even more importance. What have some of your strategies been here? Debbie? One of the things I've tried to do in the past couple of weeks is email students before we even started any e-learning with just checking in on them, seeing how they're doing, and letting them know that for physics, our goals are to make something that's reasonable, supportive, flexible, and just keep echoing the message that we're here for you and it's going to be okay. Even if we don't know everything about what it's going to look, we know what our, our goals are, which is to help you learn while still being supportive of this bizarre situation. Another thing that I've been working on is maintaining some semblance of routines that are used to maintain connections with students. For example, when we were in the building to get in the room, I had a question of the day, just something simple like, you know, do you have any pets? Were you named after anyone? What's the history of your name? And they'd high five me on the way in and answer their question. So we changed that to virtual high fives. Their attendance for the day is involving saying their virtual high five answer questions like, has your screen time gone up, down, or stayed the same since this started? So we're doing, trying to maintain some routines. We also, for help, have optional office hours that we'll be doing uh, Google Meet, which is similar to Zoom, for any student that wants to either just say hi to their teacher or ask some questions. And we'll see what we can come up with along the way as well in terms of other ways to help students with their learning and with where they're at emotionally. Just try to be really flexible, try to see ahead of time anything I can imagine that students need and then tell them that I'm going to give it to them. Here's what I thought you might need. Let's do this plan. For example, I just emailed a couple kids this morning and said, you had some old work before this all happened. Let's excuse you from it. If you want to do it, it's fine, but let's just move forward. That seems like it's best for you. And I asked them to just let me know if that didn't sound like a good plan for them. So I'm trying to anticipate who needs what and give it to them and also just ask the kids as much as I can survey them or ask them what you need. Is this what you need? How can I help? Absolutely. Helen? So I have called all of my students and their parents, like for students or for parents who don't speak English, I've texted using Google Translate. And I think having that kind of regular person-to-person check-in is just really essential for so many reasons. Like for the kid to realize that my work matters and a person is reading this and caring about this. So I think we have to continue doing that kind of individual personal check-in. I also think like student choice is so important right now. They're not going to do it if they don't want to do it. And they have so many other pressures on them right now um, that takes up brain space. So I think like incorporating choice or like student directed activities, which is like pretty possible to do as an ELA teacher, 
would be essential for a longer program. Like I don't imagine kids engaging by doing a vocabulary check-in once a week, for example. It's interesting, you know, we've always known that student choice and engagement and relatability have been requisites for deep learning. And now the situation in your analysis seems to have thrown that into stark relief, that now they're not optional extras. We, we really have to walk that walk. Yeah. Is that a fair estimate of what you're saying? Yeah, and it's interesting too, because the students who are doing the work aren't necessarily the students who always put their best foot forward in my class. Like I think for some kids, having this bigger sense of responsibility and choice is actually helping them with buy-in. That's, they're in the minority, unfortunately, but I do think like that's always been important and especially now. Some students and some teachers sort of rise to meet crisis situations perhaps. Yeah. Well, I guess that leads into my next question. Uh, teaching is always a highly stressful and demanding job intellectually, physically, emotionally. Has working remotely eased those stresses? Has it magnified them both? I can't imagine having continued to work in the school with the current crisis. It's definitely eased that. I think for both me and my students, it felt like closing when we did was a really responsible decision. I think there's so much change right now that has definitely magnified stress. It is freeing to have this much control over my lesson plans. Um, and I do enjoy sort of pulling that together. So I think I'm finding more I found creativity there in the past, but I think I'm finding more. But I also like miss the person to person side of it. So I think there's probably less day to day stress, but when I think about like my job as a whole and my happiness with my job as a whole, I would definitely say it's less fulfilling and in some ways like more draining because there's more worries that I have no control of. Debbie, how about you? Has this been more stressful, less stressful, differently stressful? The biggest added stress is less about teaching and the preparation and more about the two additional jobs that we're now doing. My husband and I have a three-year-old. We both teach physics, but we now also are both preschool teachers and stay-at-home parents, which we were not two weeks ago. But at least we're grateful that we had two weeks where we weren't starting up with e-learning right away and they were our spring break and some canceled school days and we were able to get a lot done so hopefully we've got a couple weeks ahead of us that'll be more reasonable than they otherwise would have been because we had that time to prepare for it uh, our principal's been great she said it's spring break we're not expecting you to work but we know that you all do work at all different hours and so if you want to use that time to prepare you certainly can and it's been really helpful for us to get ourselves feeling like we're set enough that we can start with students today. I definitely hear you on the picking up extra jobs piece. My wife and I are also both educators and now we're also not only supporting the learning of our students but also of our own two children. Homeschooling them has been tremendously rewarding for us but it's like picking up another class and not just a 50-minute class like I'm used to at high school or even a two and a half hour class like at university but a full day class in all subjects. My respect for elementary school teachers was always high, but now it's really gone up a quantum leap. Benedette, what about you? Teaching remotely in the age of COVID-19. More stressful? Less stressful? Something else? And believe it or not, I believe it has eased some of the stress, and i tell you why. Because we all experience the same major stress. So there's no hierarchy of stress. 
we all have the same major problem, and that is the threat of pandemic. So on one level, we are all having the same discussions. Also, not having to commute to school has been less stressful. That's a really interesting argument about COVID-19 in some ways acting as a great equalizer in a school setting, which is normally really intensely hierarchical. And I certainly can't disagree with you that not having to do my commute, both of my commutes to both my jobs, um, has been something of relief in all this. And I guess, speaking of relief, that brings us to our next question. What supports has your school given you as a teacher, both professionally and socio-emotionally? Mm -hmm. We have a few sort of daily check-ins through email. We've had meetings for various groups that we're in that are more focused around where we are emotionally and how we can provide support to our students emotionally than they're focused on education, which I think is helpful. It feels like my school is really aware that this is a need and is kind of sorting out how to meet that need as we go along, which is tricky. Like we're definitely provided with links of mindfulness exercises or like ways you can work out at home. There's a teacher who's done like a Zoom workout that teachers can opt into. But again, like it's not like we had these resources before school closed. So it feels very sort of we're figuring it as we go along. We kind of all are. Yeah. Um, Tippy, how about you? What's your school been offering to its teachers in terms of supports? Our school has a lot of resources. We already had instructional coaches employed by the school to help teachers be better teachers. We have a technology help team to help teachers learn more about technology. So they've all taken on tasks of trying to help out. We've gotten floods of emails from our technology team, from our instructional coaches. I've gotten ones from parents that say, how can I help? I've gotten tons of emails from various companies saying, we're making our content free, we're making our curriculum free. I invented a new word to describe the feeling. We know the word FOMO, fear of missing out. I feel like I also have FOBO, which is fear of being overwhelmed. Oh gosh, I definitely understand that. I don't want to miss out on some amazing curriculum that someone's doing somewhere, but I can't analyze every single email and every single option that's out there. No, of course not. So trying to balance and get something that's good enough um, while still you know, grateful for the supports that everyone's given. Uh, our principal has been consistently echoing messages like family first. If there's something you need as a teacher, do it. We'll help you out. They've been, uh, our principal has been contacting us frequently. They've been emailing the students frequently to keep them connected um, and just sounding the exact right tone, which I really appreciate. A huge emotional relief is everyone who works for the school is still getting paid. We are still working. We are very grateful for that. No, absolutely. We're very lucky if we're in that position. Trying to support the kids, too. The kids are all um, being told that they have access to free meals, breakfast, and lunch. It We have a high population that qualifies for free and reduced lunch, and it, it doesn't matter if they're qualified or not. Anyone who says they need food gets it. It doesn't, we don't need any paperwork, we don't need anything. Our school's in a position where we can say, you tell us you need meals, you come and get breakfast and lunch. Even if you don't tell us you need meals, you show up, here's breakfast and lunch. So that's good for me because as a teacher, I worry about my students in so many different ways. There's so many things we can't control, but that one that we can help with, I'm really glad the school has the ability to do that for them right now. I think it's interesting, although not surprising, that both your responses to my question ended up with how you're supporting the students. Somehow they wound their way to that. And it's almost routine for so many of us to put our own needs in the back seat when it comes to helping our students. 
but we're also only human. And my question was about what supports you're getting as teachers. Benedette, what supports are you getting? Um, professionally, I think uh, the principal and the administration has been very communicative, as well as Boston Public Schools. For such a large district, they have done an outstanding job. I think emotionally, uh, I don't know how they have uh, supported me, but I haven't needed any support, so that's good. That's better than good. That's awesome. So let's say the best of all possible scenarios is true, and we're back in schools as normal in a few weeks or even in September. What kind of impact do you think these few weeks will have had? Do you foresee any permanent changes to teaching and learning at your school that might arise from this? Helen? Yeah, I mean, I think I already, after just a week, we've only been doing like real online learning for a week, I already feel a lot more fluent in using Google Classroom. My students are so used to navigating their way around the internet or around a like independent Google Doc. But I think as a teacher, like I haven't been there before, where I could see this as sort of a skill building opportunity where I'm now able to make these assignments that are like more independent for a kid to do, which would be great. I think I'm really concerned about my students who aren't receiving the non-educational supports that they need over a long period of time. And I think bouncing back from that will be harder than bouncing back from lost learning time. And of course, that's going to impact like our learning and our culture as a school. Sure, of course. I also think like every student I've spoken to, every parent I've spoken to has really expressed gratitude that like we're reaching out and that they feel like the school is there for them, which will probably also have an impact on how we come back together as a school culture. So I think we'll definitely sort of feel the loss of these months, but I hope we'll also feel like a stronger community for supporting each other through it. Benedette, what about you, long-term focus? I think schools should handle the situation by trying to make learning more interesting. And I have been saying this for quite a long time. It would seem like it'd be easier to have worksheets and have students go to IXL, but I actually think being a little bit more creative would be the way to go on this. For example, field trips can be movies on Netflix and students can get online and have a discussion about those movies. I think more five students or less discussions during the day and meeting would be very helpful for students to see each other, to understand how to communicate with each other, and to be kind to each other in terms of engagement. If a student gets something wrong, for the teacher to say that's okay, that it's wrong. I think we should try to have smaller pods of students if possible. I just finished having a three-hour class with two students, and uh, it's probably one of the best classes I've had teaching a really difficult topic, quadratics, in a long time. But right now I'm planning work for my next trimester. This year which starts in about three weeks and I'm going to make it interesting. It's going to be about an interesting topic, a relevant topic. And we're going to have some field experiences, uh, field trips, and go to the movies. I think we could learn more about uh, finding more interdisciplinary projects. Right now I'm, I'm doing an interdisciplinary project with the history teacher, which we did not plan before the co-virus event. So I think schools have been pretty slow to adapt different ways of teaching and learning. And I think we should use this as an, as an experience, as an opportunity to broaden 
the way we teach and to try to engage more children in the way we teach. So first Helen and now you are saying that what progressive educators have been preaching, what research has been demonstrating all along about the value of student engagement, of small group cooperative work, of interdisciplinary work, of experiential learning. For so many years, it's been seen by so many teachers and administrators as a, well, wouldn't that be nice if we could do that? And now the COVID-19 crisis has changed that to learning won't be possible unless we do that. And I think to some extent, that's kind of always been true. We've just been able to look away because some kids could strategically comply and go through the motions well enough to, to achieve. But a lot of kids are getting left behind. So I personally hope that realization that these methods really are necessary for reaching so many students, I hope that stays with us and informs the way we teach once this crisis is over. I only have one more question to all three of you. What's your plan for April break? <laughs> I was going to go to Arkansas. I have no idea. <laughs> Likewise. Yeah. <laughs> Benedict, how about you? April break, what's in store? Well, I wish I was going on vacation. I am not. <laughs> but what I'm going to try to do is plant more flowers, give flowers away, and make my house look very happy so that it will make people happy when they pass by in my house. Also, I think I want to try to put some things outside my house, uh, some books and some teaching materials. I have lots of teaching materials here at home, and um, probably some parents could use those at home. That's terrific. I think a lot of parents would be very grateful for that. Even as teachers ourselves, my wife and I have been scrambling all the time to find the materials we need to keep generating lessons for our own children, so that's a real service. Debbie, you're our final word. How are you spending April break? Dave, you were just showing off with that last question about April break. That's so East Coast. We did our spring break already. We're done. We are in school for the foreseeable future. So no more asking about April break. That's just not fair. <laughs> Got it. No more questions about April break, I promise, because no more questions, period. We're out of time. I want to thank all three of you for giving me your time. And I think it's clear to anyone listening that time right now is extremely precious for you all. I want to thank you for using some of it to appear on this show and to share your experiences with us. I think you provided yet one more desperately needed means of connection and understanding in our current state of isolation, and maybe also let some other teachers listening out there know that they're not alone in what they're going through. Please take care of yourselves, take care of your students, and let's all hope for a swift end to this pandemic crisis. That's all the time we have for now. Class dismissed, and we'll see you next time. I hope you enjoy listening to this podcast. If you did, please write us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever it is you found us. Like us on our Facebook page. And if you really enjoy it, please consider visiting our website, www.ed-infinitum.com, and making a donation to keep it running. Otherwise, in the grand tradition of underfunded public schools, we'll be reliant on only what we can make from bake sales. The website is the place to go if you want to suggest a topic or send me an email for any other reason. Special thanks to our guests this week, Helen, Debbie, and Benedette. I want to let our listeners know if they haven't figured out by now for my somewhat novice skills as a sound editor that these interviews were not conducted simultaneously, but have been stitched together to make this podcast. Our theme music is Happy Schoolmaster by Mind Music ID. Thanks again for listening. And remember, every day brings us opportunities to learn something new. Still with us? Instead of an educational fun fact, this time I want to give you an encouragement to donate money or time to organizations or individuals working to support vulnerable people during the COVID-19 crisis. 
I recommend the American Red Cross, the CDC Foundation, or Direct Relief. Beyond sending money, one can do grocery runs for immunocompromised people or help set up and maintain micropantries for folks in economic distress. In short, there's a lot you can do, so please do what you can, and we'll get through this together. Bye.